Welcome to Turning Point. How's your prayer life? If you're like most believers, you'll admit that there's probably some room for improvement. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah begins a series to help you grow in this area, using the pattern for prayer given by Christ himself. Kicking off his series, Prayer, the Great Adventure, here's David to introduce today's message, Prayer, Pagans, and Pretenders. Well, folks, you learn to pray at certain times in your lives, and usually it's during a time of stress or difficulty, maybe sickness or disease. I really learned most about prayer during the time I had cancer back uh, 20-some years ago. And as I came out of that experience, I had learned to um, keep a journal, and I had been writing things down that I was learning about prayer and discovering new insights about prayer. And the result of that was a book called Prayer the Great Adventure. And we're going to talk about this particular uh, perspective on prayer during the month of July, and uh, it wraps itself around the Lord's Prayer. You know, it's interesting to me that the disciples never asked the Lord Jesus to teach them to preach. They asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and he did. And you know that prayer is in the book of Matthew, and there we learn how we're to go about praying. It's not a rote prayer that we just memorize and recite, but it's an outline for prayer that will help us as we come to the Father. And I want to make sure that we pay close attention during the month of July as we talk about Prayer the Great Adventure. We have a very special uh, answer book for you during the month. It's called Answers to Questions About Prayer, a 146-page hardcover book that includes 50 answers to questions about prayer. It's a resource for personal study to share in a group setting, and it's yours for the asking when you send your gift in the month of July. Well, we get started with the message called Prayer, Pagans, and Pretenders, Matthew chapter 6. Let's start. The daughter of an atheist once said to a friend of hers that she'd been brought up without any religion at all. I do not believe in God, she said. Then she added a little wistfully, but the other day in an old German book, I came across a German prayer, and if the God of that prayer exists, then I think I might be able to believe in him. What is that prayer, her friend asked. Then she replied slowly, repeating in German, Our Father who art in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is indeed one of the most wonderful proofs of the existence of God there is in the Scripture. For there could not be the thought of a God that is so sublime and so beautiful and of man's relationship to him unless God existed and unless he initiated the information so that we would know. This that we call the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew in the sixth chapter is one of many prayers that the Lord Jesus prayed, some 20 prayers that we know of for a fact. On one occasion, and at his baptism in Luke 3, we're told that he prayed. When the crowds began to press upon him in Capernaum and he feared the spirit of monopoly, we're told that he got up a great while before dawn and he prayed. When he contemplated the selection of his apostles, interestingly enough, the Lord Jesus prayed all night before he did that. We could add to this the high priestly prayer recorded in John 17. 
And we all know about the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But the most familiar of all the praying, which is associated with the Lord's name, is that which we are focusing on, and that is the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, I ought to say at the outset that this cannot really be the Lord's Prayer, because the Lord could never pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. We call it the Lord's Prayer because it is the prayer the Lord taught his disciples. In all reality, it is our prayer, or it's the disciples' prayer. As we introduce this prayer today and as we think about some of the things the Lord said to introduce praying to us, it would be helpful to us, I think, if we would just pause for a moment and remember how very special this prayer is in our world today. First of all, it is in almost all of the common liturgies of the liturgical churches. It is the earliest recollection of most every one of us as children. In fact, I was reminded that when I was in the third grade, which was in another lifetime, I had a teacher whose name was Mrs. Gaydell. I will not forget her. She made an impact on my life. And every day at the beginning of our class, she was my homeroom teacher. She would stand before our class in a public school and lead us in the Lord's Prayer. We have come a long way, haven't we? And we've been going in the wrong direction. The Lord's Prayer was known by almost every child, regardless of what their religious background might have been, for it was a part of our heritage. Often in weddings, the Lord's Prayer is either recited or it is sung. Very seldom do you officiate at a funeral or at a graveside service without the Lord's Prayer being a part of what happens there. I know some families that recite it at mealtime and others that say it before they go to bed at night. Just 66 words in the King James Version of this prayer. But oh, how powerful and how wonderful these words have been. It is amazing to me to see over the years the place this prayer has been accorded in church history. If you go back through the early church, men like Origen and Gregory of Nyssa and Tertullian and all of the church fathers that we've studied, almost all of them had substantial expositions on the Lord's Prayer. Luther gave countless expositions of this prayer in his sermons. And in the Presbyterian churches today, an exposition of the Lord's Prayer forms the last nine questions of the Westminster Catechism. Andrew Murray said that the Lord's Prayer is a form of prayer that becomes the model and inspiration for all other prayers. And yet always it draws us back to itself as the deepest utterance of our souls before God. We can pray a lot of prayers, and it is a good thing to be reminded that the disciples did not say, Lord, teach us a prayer. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the prayer is not something that we're just to say as a rote prayer. We'll get into that in a moment. But it is a pattern for praying. And it is a wonderful outline for praying. And it has been given a great place in the history of the church and in most of our lives. It has also been used in an unfortunate way now and again. I read of a minister who parked his car in a no parking zone in a large city. And because he was short of time and couldn't find a space where there was a meter, he put a note under the windshield wiper that read, I have circled this block 10 times. If I don't park here, I'll miss my appointment. Forgive us our trespasses. 
When he returned, he found a citation from the police officer along with this note. I have circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. (laughs) The Lord's Prayer. Many of you understand that there's somewhat of a struggle with prayer for a lot of people. If I could be theological for a moment, there are two camps that have to do with the sovereignty of God. And let me try to explain this so that it's not complicated because if it's complicated, I won't understand it. There are a group of people who followed in the train of John Calvin and they're called Calvinists. Have you ever heard that word? Calvinists are really strong on the sovereignty of God. God is in charge. And then there's another group called the Arminians. Have you heard of those folks? They're followers of a man by the name of Arminius. And they're very much into the free will of man. So you have the Calvinists and you have the Arminians. Well, the Calvinists believe that everything's up to God and nothing's up to man. And sometimes the Arminians believe that everything's up to man and hardly anything's up to God. I read a story some time ago that illustrates how some of these questions sometimes can even frustrate mature Christians. George Whitfield was a Calvinistic evangelist. John Wesley was an Arminian evangelist. And believe it or not, one time they were preaching together in a campaign. Rooming together in the same rooming house each night. Actually staying in the same room. George Whitfield, the Calvinist, and John Wesley, the Arminian. After they had been preaching in this community for some time, they went back to their boarding house one night and exhausted, were preparing for bed, and they were going to pray. Whitfield, the Calvinist, prayed like this. Lord, We thank thee for all those with whom we spoke today, and we rejoice that their lives and destinies are entirely in thy hands. Honor our efforts according to your will. Amen. And he rose from his knees and got into bed. John Wesley, who had hardly gotten past the invocation in his prayer, looked up from the side of the bed and said, Mr. Whitfield, is this where your Calvinism leads you? Then he put his head down and went on praying, and Whitfield stayed in bed and went to sleep. About two hours later, Whitfield woke up, and sure enough, there was Wesley still on his knees beside the bed. So Whitfield got up and went around the bed to where Wesley was kneeling, and when he got there, he found out that John Wesley was asleep. (laughs) And he shook him by the shoulder, and he said, Mr. Wesley, is this where your Arminianism leads you? Somewhere between Calvinism and Arminianism is the real truth. And you know what I've discovered? There is no place in all of the Bible that puts that together better than the Lord's Prayer. For the Lord's Prayer is, thine is the glory, thine is the power, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And in the middle is, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. There isn't any conflict in the will of God. When we get to heaven someday, there's not going to be an Arminian part of heaven and a Calvinistic part of heaven. 
But the Lord's Prayer, oh, what a balance it brings to all that we do. And how we can learn not only to pray, but how we can learn about life by studying its words and following its pattern. It's found two places in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 11. And we're studying it in the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. Now before the Lord actually gives the prayer in the sixth chapter, he presents a couple of requirements. And we need to take care of these in this message so that we understand that the Lord said after this manner pray, but then he said there's some things I want to tell you about prayer before you actually pray. And the first thing he talks about is that our prayers must not be hypocritical. He actually uses the word hypocrite in the verse. When you pray, verse 5, Matthew 6, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men, and I tell you, they have their reward. The day in which Jesus spoke these words, the Jewish Pharisees especially were committed to praying on the set hours of the clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Always when they came to that every third hour, they would stop wherever they were and they would pray out loud. And in reading some of the history of the day, I discovered that some of the Pharisees used to plan their day out so that they would be in the most public place at the time when the clock chimed, three or nine or 12, so that at 12 o'clock they might be in the center of the city and when they got to the center of the city, oh, it's 12 o'clock. Imagine that. And they would lift their hands up and out loud they would pray and everybody would look around and say, boy, that must be some spiritual person there. And Jesus said, when you pray, don't pray like that. Because hypocritical praying focuses on position instead of piety. Matthew 23, 28 says, even so you also outwardly appear righteous but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. It's not always true that what you see in the outside represents the reality of the person. Jesus wants us to know that it is not that we pray publicly that he cares about. Don't do this as the hypocrites do. For hypocritical praying focuses not only on position instead of piety, but hypocritical praying focuses on recognition instead of reward. One of the most sobering thoughts to come from studying the Lord's Prayer, men and women, is this, that no man can at one and the same time be trying to impress men and be able to impress God. You can't do that. And so Jesus warns us at the outset, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is not necessarily something we should fancy doing in public for attention. Don't do your praying for others. Because you see, hypocritical praying focuses on recognition instead of reward. The Bible says that we are not to pray in that way. But then the Lord adds another warning to us. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites do. And notice that the word hypocrite is in verse five. But in verse seven, he said, don't pray like the heathen do. And that word is in verse seven. Don't pray like the hypocrites and don't pray like the heathen. You say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, do the heathen pray? Oh, yes. Yes, they do. And Jesus describes one of the characteristics of heathen praying. 
It is vain repetition. It is coming to God as if we have to repeat over and over again the same kinds of words, almost like a spiritual mantra for God to hear us. And it is possible for us, even as evangelicals, maybe graduates of Christian colleges and Christian high schools, it is possible for us to fall into the vein of heathen praying. Now in many churches, some from which you may have come, they have what they call a prayer book. And I am not against prayer books. I don't wanna make a statement against them. Some of the greatest things you'll find are in some of the old, old prayer books that have come to us out of the history of the church. But a prayer book has a pre-written prayer. And if you get a good prayer book, you can get a prayer for anything your heart desires, any kind of occasion, any kind of moment you will ever experience. So you just look in the index and find the prayer you want and open it up and then you pray this prayer out loud. Now, if the prayer represents the genuineness of your heart, then God will hear it and it will be acceptable to him. But so often, what happens through liturgy, and one of the challenges with liturgical worship is that what becomes rote and routine to us becomes vain repetition, so that we stand and mouth words, they mean nothing to us. And Jesus is trying to help us understand that what he longs for from his people is not the right set of words, not the right vocabulary said in the right intonation, but what he wants is a relationship with his people so that we come to him as we would come to a friend and we converse with him and it's meaningful in relationship. It's interesting to me that at the very front of this prayer, which is often prayed in a vain repetitious way, there is a warning against doing that. Don't do it, Jesus said. You know, as Christians, we do that ourselves, don't we? Do we ever use vain repetitious words in our prayers? Do you know what I've noticed that we get into the habit of doing as Christians? And I suppose I've gone through a phase of this, and maybe you have too, and maybe you're in the midst of a phase of this. We use words as vocal pauses, where someone uses the name of God or the name Father over and over and over again. And Father, we just want to say, and Father, we just want to do, and Father, we just want to pray, and Father this and Father that. Now you try that on the person who is closest to you in normal human conversation. You go home to your wife and you say, Donna, if that's her name. <laughs> you say, Donna, it's so good, Donna, to see you, Donna. <laughs> Donna, it was good for us to be in church, wasn't it, Donna? Oh, Donna, what a wonderful service it was, Donna, oh, Donna. <laughs> what is the matter with you? And she would look at me and say, I don't want you to talk with me in vain repetitions. And she would be right. You don't talk like that to somebody you know and love. You talk with them normally. And sometimes we do that out of nervous habit, don't we? Sometimes we just do it out of habit. And maybe it's good for us to take the admonition of our Lord and say, when I talk to God, he's my friend. After I address him the first time, I don't have to keep calling his name because he knows that I know who he is. Vain, repetitious. There's an interesting thing in the account of the publican and the Pharisee. In Luke's account, it says this, that the Pharisee went there and prayed with himself. Isn't that an interesting thought? Have you ever noticed people that pray with themselves? 
I'm, maybe God's listening in, but he's the second thought because they're praying with themselves. And the Lord warns us against that. Our prayer must not be heathen. Did you know that in Tibet, there are millions who write their prayers down on paper and they use prayer machines. And they put their little prayer requests in these prayer machines and they're like wheels and they turn around like this and they believe that every time the wheel passes in front of heaven that the prayer is offered. So as many times as they can pass that wheel in front of heaven, that's another prayer. And that's a vain repetition. That's the kind of thing we get into sometimes if we're not careful. And Jesus warns against that. One man has written that one sentence burdened with a heart's desire is dearer to God than an hour's rehearsing of words and phrases with no longing behind them. God wants our hearts. And so these warnings at the outset of the prayer. Now the interesting thing, as you come to this prayer, and we just want to kind of whet our appetites for it, as you come to this prayer, you begin to realize and delve into its meaning and you discover some great theology. I want you to look down at the prayer and notice the emphasis upon God in the first three petitions. Thy kingdom, thy name, thy will. And then notice the second part of the prayer and its emphasis upon the poverty of man. And I'm going to change the way the words are just so you can get the point. I want you to watch carefully in your Bibles and notice us give daily bread. Us forgive. Us lead not into temptation. Us deliver from evil. In the first part of the prayer, it's thy, thy, thy. In the second part of the prayer, it's us, us, us. God has all the glory and all the power and all the majesty. And you and I have all the needs and all the wants and all the poverty, don't we? Isn't it great to come to a prayer where you can just say, God, I'm empty. But, oh, God, you're so full. And you are my source. And you're the one to whom I come. You are my father. Samuel Zweimer once wrote that every possible desire of the praying heart is here. This prayer contains a whole world of spiritual requirements and it combines in simple language every divine promise, every human sorrow and want, and every Christian aspiration for the good of others. So here in this prayer is everything that we need to do when we pray. And we're going to unlock that and unpack it during these next weeks. I hope you'll be with us every single day. Hey, as we um, get ready for the month of July, I'm reminded of the Caribbean cruise, the 28th of December through January the 4th. You can get information about that at our website. And then our fall rally dates are as follows. Thursday, October the 6th in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thursday, October the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Thursday, October 20th in Greenfield, South Carolina, and Friday, November the 11th in Buffalo, New York. We'll be talking about this a lot, so if you missed it, you can go to our website. You can find it there. Also, during this time that we're teaching on prayer, we have a really, really cool little bookmark that we'd like to give you. It's yours for asking today. You don't have to do anything, but just ask for it. Just say, send me the bookmark, and it'll come to you along with our our blessing and our prayer for your growth and development in talking to the Lord. During this series on prayer, I hope you will dial in every day. And also, you'll be getting a copy of the magazine if you're on our magazine list, which now includes over 500,000 people who receive that magazine every month. And uh, the devotionals and uh, the articles, 
all the information is it's gathered around the subject of prayer. This is a time to really uh, focus your attention on your prayer life here in July. And, And, you know, we have one month left in the summer and then the fall starts. And Don and I were just looking at the fall schedule and thinking, oh, my goodness, good time to start praying. July first and all the things that are happening in your life and in the life of your family, in the life of your church. Make prayer your focus, and uh, we'll help you every day as you tune in to Turning Point on the radio. Uh, Have a great weekend. Don't forget to get to church. Watch us on television if it's available in your community. Most of all, come back on Monday for this series. I'm David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Prayer, the Great Adventure, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's book, Answers to Questions About Prayer with 50 questions and answers to fortify your prayer life. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in your choice of cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue Prayer the Great Adventure, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. One of the greatest adventures in this life is meeting with God through prayer. And to help you go deeper in your practice, Dr. Jeremiah has created a new book called Answers to Questions About Prayer. This new book, along with his classic volume, Prayer, The Great Adventure, are yours when you donate $60 to the ministry this month. And when you give $80 or more, you'll also receive these books as well as the accompanying CD, album, and study guide. Donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Medical technology is truly amazing. First, x-rays allowed us to see inside the body. Then came CAT scans or MRIs. And now doctors can insert tiny cameras into our body to get even more detailed views. But seeing the inside of the body isn't nearly as amazing as seeing inside the soul. And for that, we need God. You probably recall the prayer the psalmist prayed, asking God to look inside his heart and tell him what he saw. 
He fully expected that prayer to be answered. And I believe God will answer that prayer for you and me as well. All we have to do is ask. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ability to search your heart on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.